Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Hi, I'm Madigan, and you're listening to Your Angry Neighborhood Feminist, a podcast that explores the world through a personal feminist perspective. Hello, hello, everybody. I hope we are all having a wonderful week so far. Happy Friday. I hope you're all looking forward to an enjoyable weekend. I myself am really, really wanting to see the new Barbie movie, but I don't think I'm willing to deal with the chaos of the crowds and everything opening weekend at least. So maybe Max and I will go during like a matinee next Thursday or something like that to enjoy it. But I am so excited for that movie and I hope that everyone else is too because I've actually decided to talk about Barbie on this coming week's full length episode. So stay tuned for that for sure. But I also wanted to touch base with my Patreon listeners really quick before I get into the news in today's episode. I wanted to let you all know that, you know, of course, I'm working on the episode. I'm getting into some history of the author of The Wizard of Oz, L. Frank Baum, and, you know, his ties to women's suffrage and women's rights and feminism and so much of his story. And I came across one of those PBS American Experience documentaries, and I watch a lot of those for these episodes. And of course, I came across that after I'd already done a lot of research and felt like I was going to be recording shortly. But now that I've found it, I'm like, okay, I need to watched this documentary and of course I started taking copious notes on it and it's taking forever for me to actually get through. So I'm just going to keep working on that Patreon episode whenever I have the opportunity to get that up for you before the end of the week. That has become my new deadline in my head. So I just wanted to reach out to you all. Thank you as usual for your patience with all of this stuff. But it's really tough as someone who is trying to create, you know, practically a new episode every week. And I want to give all of these subjects the attention that they deserve. And sometimes it's just difficult for me to know when it's done, to feel like, okay, this is complete. This is the full story that I want to tell. This is what I want to put out there. And, you know, especially doing so many episodes a week on my own, it can be a little bit tough to juggle and I'm also working on another project stay tuned but anyways so I wanted to give you all that little update but because of that I truly think that it is going to be such a great episode if you have been on the fence as to whether or not you want to join patreon join it for this episode alone so you can hear me talk all about the thing that I obsess over the most and one other thing I did a 
like a questions thing on Instagram. Again, I don't I don't know what these things are called, but I did one on my personal Instagram, which by the way is she's Madigan. She's and then my name, M-A-D-I-G-A-N. And I also did it on the podcast page where I asked everybody what my favorite movie was. And it was funny because a lot of people were responding like, is this a trick question, dot, dot, dot. But every single person, 100% of the people that answered the question answered The Wizard of Oz. And it's funny to me that when you think of Madigan, you think of The Wizard of Oz. It's one of those things that has become really synonymous with my identity in so many ways. And it's something that a lot of people know about me. Quick story, actually. Sorry that I keep going on these little tangents. But when I was at Keegan's wedding, I was sitting with my good friend, Arielle, who I've known longer than I've even known Keegan. So like we've been friends for like 13 years. And we're sitting at the table. It was after the pandemic. So we were like catching up or whatever. And then Keegan had another friend at the table who is a listener and I knew that she was a listener I'd met her before and she's very very sweet and she mentioned something about the Wizard of Oz and Ariel's head just like snapped around and was like how do you know that about her and it was just so funny that you know it's this thing that people that know me in real life and people that just know me through the show or social media it's just something that people have really melded into part of me and I have such a passion for this story on so many levels and I'm just really excited to get into all of it so if you are on the fence about joining the angry feminist book club definitely join us for July's book it's going to be so much fun as I cover the wonderful Wizard of Oz by L. Frank Baum I am going to be discussing the movie as well but the thing is if I get started too much on the movie (laughs) I'm never going to stop. So maybe down the line, I'll do a little extra thing about the movie. We'll see. But if you also want to get all of these episodes ad free and a little bit early, you can join the Feminist Faves level, which is $8 a month as well. And you also get all of the Angry Feminist Book Club content when you join that level as well. And uh, okay, I think that's enough yammering on to start an episode. So let's get started. I'm feeling quite fired up about the topics that I'm discussing today. So this one should be fun. I made a post on Instagram yesterday about the country artist. I want to even just say that loosely because I just don't even see him as being a truly talented person, but I digress. Um, The country person, Jason Aldean, had released a video for his song, Try That in a Small Town. Now, the single was released back in May, and it seems like there was some controversy at the time, but like it doesn't seem like it was really in the general public's consciousness, or else I just wasn't aware of it at the time. But this new video caused another layer of this controversy, and that was released this week. So for those of you who haven't listened to the song... Sorry to say, I'm not going to play it. I haven't played it. I don't want to give this dude any clicks. Like, I, And I don't even really want to listen to it. Like, I, I don't like hate listening to things. I read the lyrics. I've read about what happens in the video. And I've seen images from the music video. And I'm like, you know what? I think I've seen all I need to see here. And I'm going to state my opinions based on that. So the lyrics and visual references in the video critics say are evocative of vigilantism and racism, and it's like blatantly obvious. The video was directed by a guy named Sean Silva, and they filmed at a location that is 
incredibly problematic. They filmed this music video at the Maury County Courthouse in Columbia, Tennessee, which was the setting where a white lynch mob dragged a young man by the name of Henry Choate through the streets and hanged him in 1927 outside the second story courthouse window. What the actual fuck? Twitter user Nate Morris wrote, Henry Choate was just 18. Reports suggest he was beaten horrifically before white supremacists murdered him in an act of terror. In Jason Aldean's video, an American flag hangs where Henry was murdered as Aldean sings, I recommend you don't try that in a small town. Sickening. Henry Choate had been accused of assaulting a 16-year-old white girl in Tennessee, which he had denied. It's very reminiscent of Emmett Till, and I believe I know about this case through learning about Emmett Till and for that episode and all the research that I've done on, you know, lynching and things like that for Black History Month in the past. So this is a name that is ringing a bell for me. It was an absolutely terrible event. An estimated 350 white men were reported to have shown up to the courthouse with Choate, and at least one of them in a report was said to have been carrying a sledgehammer. It's so unbelievably disrespectful to know that not even quite 100 years ago, there was a man that was unlawfully and unrightfully hung from a second-story courthouse building to see in 2023 somebody making a music video where they're then hanging an American flag at that exact same spot. I'm going to post the pictures on Instagram along with this episode. I've been really bad about posting like episode photos and things like that because sometimes it's not really needed, I feel like, but I'm definitely going to post on Instagram for this story and you can look at the visuals that are in the music video compared to, you know, the visuals in newspapers at the time and things like that from when this event took place. It's very, very jarring. It seems very, very obvious. And now the devil's advocate may come at us and say that Sean Silva and Jason Aldean missed this part of their history lesson, that not all of us, you know, know about all of these events that have taken place. And they're like, cool courthouse, bro, let's shoot there. And it's either that or they literally didn't do any research on the location in which they were filming. And if that's the case, that's just really bad filmmaking. Like, I went to film school to be an actor, but we also had to learn kind of the basics of filmmaking and we had to kind of like play different roles behind the camera throughout our time in school to kind of like get a feel for each of them. And even I know from like the little shit that I've produced, you do your fucking research, like even the most basic stuff. And I'm sure one quick Google search would easily have shown all of its history. Of course, I searched it now and it's all about Jason Aldean and the song and things like that. So it's kind of hard to know what the results would have been at the time when they were doing research for the video and location scouting. I mean, that's the thing. It's like multiple people usually have to approve this shit. Like if this was just some guy filming a video for TikTok, no. But this is like a really big production with someone who has been performing in country music for a really long time. I'm assuming this is made by filmmakers. I don't know their work who should be at a level, you know, working with a certain artist where they should have some sort of ethics or I guess some sort of 
logical plan even when it comes to location scouting. Like it is just very important to know these kinds of things. So I don't believe that they weren't aware of what they were doing when they were going into this project. And another thing that was first actually mentioned to me in the comment section of the Instagram post that I made yesterday, but I've been reading more about it, is that Jason Aldean was actually at the 2017 mass shooting in Las Vegas at the Route 91 Harvest Festival. And people are like, how, how can someone who was present for such extreme violence partake in something that's so disgusting like and how can he sing about you know a lack of a need for gun control and in my opinion endorse a lot of violence and vigilantism like I said you would think that somebody who has had a personal experience wouldn't react that way it's very very hard for me to understand someone who could witness 60 people being murdered due to horrific gun violence sing praise for the rights to bear arms essentially it just it really it doesn't compute in my brain at all it seems just unbelievably tasteless to be part of one of the most shocking mass shootings in our country's recent history and make a song that's so pro-gun but I also have to note that it isn't Jason Aldean that actually wrote this song. He's not that talented, like I said. It's actually written by a team of songwriters who we should also be very, very upset with. And these songwriters are named Kurt Allison, Tully Kennedy, Kelly Loveless, and Neil Thrasher. All of them have very interesting names, but I already have kind of like a burning hatred for them in my heart, so I'm not going to think of them positively. And though I haven't listened to the song, I was looking up some of the reviews and things like that. And from what I've read, it's not even a very well-written song. And you can tell by looking at the lyrics, too. It's basically just a simple list-style song of things that you that one might find in a small town, like water towers, corner stores, holding doors open, lack of stoplights, etc., And all of this is also to say that Jason Aldean himself did not grow up in a small town and has no idea what he's singing about. It's very hypocritical in many ways. So, you know, I'm mad at the songwriters for writing the song and I'm mad at Jason Aldean for looking at the song, listening to the song and being like, yeah, that's the one I'm going to put on my album and I'm going to make it a single and I'm going to make a video and then I'm going to put it out into the world and spread more hatred and bullshit Fuck you, fuck you very much. I need somebody with a human touch. Oh, it very slowly got into Spice Girls. It was completely off key because I didn't know it was going to go there. Okay, anyways. Fellow country singer who is actually talented, Cheryl Crow, who is also actually from a small town in Missouri, tweeted at Eldine saying, There's nothing small town or American about promoting violence. You should know that better than anyone having survived a mass shooting. This is not American or small town like. It's just lame. And yeah, it really gives small town America a very bad name. And I generalize a lot on this show, particularly being from the Midwest and experiencing what middle America is like and what a lot of my family is like politically and things like that. You can a little bit generalize what people's political (laughs) beliefs are and, you know, what some of their morals may be as well because of their political alliance. 
but it isn't fair to make broad assumptions about people in small towns because there was actually a documentary that I've never watched, but I listened to it on True Crime Obsessed, and I think it was Welcome to Leith, and that documentary showed where this like white supremacist group began infiltrating this really, really small town of just like hundreds of people. And because the town was so small, they kind of like came in and wanted to take over the government. And the townspeople that were already there hated them. Like they did, they called them Nazis, what they were, and were like, we're not going to stand for these people being here and really did their best to push these people out of their town and their community. So I can't say that every single small town in the world is going to behave or be a certain way. And I love to see those examples where you would assume that maybe a group of people would be more, quote unquote, small minded or less progressive. And to see them being so loving and open minded for people that are different than them, but also expressing such hatred for those that hate, you know what I mean? So it is very empowering to know the goodness that exists everywhere in the world, no matter where you come from. I also wanted to note that Cheryl Crow is a longtime advocate for gun safety, and in March she performed at a vigil in Nashville after a school shooting. She is also one of several artists who have lobbied the Tennessee legislature for gun reform following the shooting, which is fantastic. I just don't think that there's enough artists out there who are willing to put their name behind things like this, especially not country music artists. I feel like people assume that they're all, you know, very backward politically, you know, people, and they're not. As a podcast network, our first priority has always been audio and the stories we're able to share with you. But we also sell merch. And organizing that was made both possible and easy with Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell and grow at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. They have an all-in-one e-commerce platform and in-person POS system, so wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. With the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. Shopify has allowed us to share something tangible with the podcast community we've built here, selling our beanies, sweatshirts, and mugs to fans of our shows without taking up too much time from all the other work we do to bring you even more great content. And it's not just us. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Shopify is also the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Because businesses that grow grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash realm, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash R-E-A-L-M now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash realm. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. 
Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Martha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz and how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. Of course, Jason Aldean did have some retorts to what was being said about him in the media. And in a tweet on Tuesday, he mentioned both the Vegas and the Nashville shooting that Cheryl Crow had done a vigil for, tweeting, As so many have pointed out, I was present at Route 91, where so many lost their lives, and our community recently suffered another heartbreaking tragedy. No one, including me, wants to continue to see senseless headlines or families ripped apart. Okay, I don't see any accountability there, but let's move on. In another tweet, he does his best to explain what this song means to him by saying... Try that in a small town, for me, refers to the feeling of a community that I had growing up, where we took care of our neighbors, regardless of differences of background or belief. Okay, I'm going to read the lyrics in a little bit, but I'm going to pause here. I don't see any of that in these lyrics. But anyways, moving on. Because they were our neighbors, and that was above any differences, my political views have never been something I've hidden from, and I know that a lot of us in this country don't agree on how we get back to a sense of normalcy where we go at least a day without a headline that keeps us up at night, but the desire for it too. That's what this song is about. Is it? Okay, I'm going to read the lyrics and every once in a while I am going to interject with my thoughts because it's just too much. Sucker punch somebody on a sidewalk. Car jack an old lady at a red light. Pull a gun on the owner of a liquor store. You think it's cool? Well, act a fool if you like. Does he think that this shit doesn't happen in small towns too? Like, fights don't go down. Like, I'm sorry. Spend some time in a small town, sweetheart. Cuss out a cop, spit in his face, stomp on the flag, and light it up. Yeah, you think you're tough. Well, try that in a small town. He makes it sound like the worst thing in the world is hating cops and being unpatriotic. To me, it's also an indicator about how he feels about protest in this country and protesters in this country, and that's unsettling to me. See how far you make it down the road. Around here, we take care of our own. You cross that line, it won't take long. For you to find out, I recommend you don't. Try that in a small town. I feel like this is kind of where some of the references to vigilantism is super clear. Talking about like, you cross the line, we're going to be the ones to take you down instead of, you know, justice. They say one day they're going to round up. Well, that shit might fly in the city. Good luck. Try that in a small town. (sighs) This line might be the one that makes me the most angry. I'm not sure. I can't remember the rest. But like, who is this mysterious they that's like coming for your guns in the South? Like, what is the deal? To me, this seems to be feeding into some conspiracy that the government is after their rights and their guns and their blah. No one is coming around to take your guns, dude. Okay, the chorus plays again. The next line says, full of good old boys raised up right. 
If you're looking for a fight, try that in a small town. I really dislike this person. From an article in Variety, and the most dangerous part of the video, the part that may wipe the smirk off your face if you're just focused on how clumsy the song is, is how it conflates the act of protesting with violent crime. Leading a march and getting in a policeman's face is on the same level as rioting or carjacking grandma. Want to vociferously unleash an unpopular opinion in a small town? See how far you make it down the road, he sings. Where have demonstrators heard that kind of language before? Were there some who never made it home after hearing that kind of threat? I don't have any trouble imagining Jason Aldean hates white protesters as much as he hates black ones, but we're not very long past that exact language being very specifically directed at people of color, or let's be honest, past it at all. The video has now been pulled from country music television. I also want to note that a lot of you have been pointing out to me on Instagram that his wife is really shitty too, and I am very well aware of that. I actually mentioned his wife in a mini episode a few months back because there was some drama between her and Maren Morris and Maren Morris really stood up for a lot of her transphobia and things like that. So I think there's a way usually that you can kind of like search keywords and things like that of episodes. If you're interested to go back and listen to that, feel free to do so. (sighs) Okay, moving on. And I usually avoid talking about this woman because everything she does could warrant an entire mini episode dedicated to it but I feel that I must discuss Marjorie Taylor Greene gosh for context for this story there has been this committee hearing going on where a pair of IRS whistleblowers testified before the House Oversight Committee about alleged meddling in the Justice Department investigation of Hunter Biden Hunter Biden had previously reached an agreement to plead guilty for two federal misdemeanor counts of failing to pay his taxes, and he also agreed to abide by a set of conditions to avoid a separate felony gun possession charge. So he didn't do great things. I am not here to say that he is off the hook by any stretch of the imagination because Democrats can be just as shitty as Republicans. They can make just as bad of decisions, so on and so forth. But that's not really the point of this conversation, although that was supposed to be the point of the hearing, because in this committee, the GOP is arguing that the president's son was spared from true justice and wasn't fully investigated or investigated thoroughly, while Democrats are arguing that he was thoroughly investigated by a team that was actually formed under the former president, Donald Trump, and led by a Trump-appointed attorney. While MTG took the stand on Wednesday, she began by saying, Before we begin, I would like to let the committee and everyone watching at home know that parental discretion is advised. Oh boy, buckle your seatbelts, everybody. She then began holding up small posters, like 8x10 printer paper-sized posters, featuring very graphic sex acts being performed by Hunter Biden from what seems to be a laptop screenshot of some sort from a hard drive that purportedly belonged to Hunter Biden. MTG is alleging that Hunter had improperly used his company to write off sex workers on his taxes. What's really incredibly upsetting to begin with is that the oversight chair, James Comer, did not reprimand her for her actions, as she may have violated the D.C. revenge porn law, so he should have shut that shit down immediately instead of letting all of this continue as soon as he saw those photos. And 
it really just seems like all of this is quite irrelevant to me as well, as the focus of all of this is on how well the investigation into the Biden family's business dealings was done and is not about Hunter's personal spending in affairs, especially since neither of the two IRS whistleblowers could confirm any of what she was accusing. Representative Robert Garcia later in a hearing made a little jab. Today's hearing is like most of the majority's investigations and hearings. A lot of allegations, zero proof, no receipts, but apparently some dick pics. AOC called the display pornographic, saying that MTG had reached, quote, a new low. We should never underestimate how low Marjorie Taylor Greene is willing to go. We really never should. We should not be surprised. AOC also follows up with a jab that was clearly directed at Matt Gates. If the gentle lady from Georgia wanted to follow evidence, we should also take a look at, hypothetically, a case where sex trafficking charges against a 17-year-old girl, potentially. God, I love her. And Congressman Jamie Raskin said that her stunt was completely irrelevant more than anything, which is the thing that I'm noticing more than anything else as well. She said it didn't advance in any way the putative objective of the hearing. He also called it an assault to the dignity of the committee. After the hearing, MTG defended her actions, saying that what she did made her uncomfortable, but the American people deserve to see the photos. Okay, honey, no one needs to see that. Like, I feel like in a perfect world, if this really was something that she really felt like needed to be addressed to this committee, why not just say that the photos exist, maybe show some sort of evidence, explain the photos, and maybe just like put the photos themselves into like an evidence folder or something and let, you know, some people see it. But the fact that like this whole thing is up on YouTube and you can just see her holding up these images is really upsetting. Now, faces are blurred. There are black boxes galore all over it. So it's not like you're really seeing the most graphic parts of the imagery or whatever. But I mean, you can kind of put two and two together, you know? But wait, it gets worse. Now it seems that Marjorie Taylor Greene may have emailed those explicit photos to minors. On Wednesday night after the hearing, she sent an email to her constituents claiming she had confirmed Biden's guilt of sex trafficking and sex fraud, though she had not. And the email included a video which contained the images of the nude sexually graphic photos. Now, people have done a little bit of research into this, and there is no screening for age when you sign up for her newsletter. So there are most likely many minors who have subscribed for this email newsletter, and they have all now received nudes from their congresswomen. Like, what in the actual fuck? So now, if all of this is proven to be true, not only did she violate revenge porn laws, but she also broke federal laws banning the distribution of, quote, obscene material to minors. I put quotes around obscene because I really don't love how vague that word is, and it really reminds me of Comstock laws in an icky way, but I digress. I did do my best to look into finding any confirmation online as to whether or not these emails did reach any minors, if there was any like parents that came out saying anything about it, but I wasn't able to find any sort of confirmation online as of Thursday at 12 p.m. Pacific time. So, <laughs> but I, I can assume that at least a few people under the age of 18 were subjected to these images, especially since as someone who, you know, puts content out into the world 
I have a lot of, I know that I have a lot of listeners and followers that are under the age of 18 because I interact with a lot of them. And it does come with a sense of responsibility, or at least it comes with a sense of feeling very aware of my actions and my words, because I do want to be seen as a role model to those who are younger than me and seen as a respectable person to those who are my age and older than me. And I just can't understand how someone could knowingly put these types of things out there into the brains of these very like innocent people. And on top of all of that, here's another little scoop of hypocrisy for her because she's the one who's always like thinking of the children and wants to save the children and yada, yada, yada. Like if, if this isn't just more proof that that is all just propaganda on their end, I don't know what other proof I could possibly give you. All right, everybody, that is everything that I have for news topics for you today. Let me know what you think of the subjects that I touched on today, because like I said, I'm feeling pretty riled up. I'm sure you can tell after listening to this episode, but I would love to get your opinions on all of this. And as always, if there's anything in particular that you really want me to discuss on either one of the mini episodes or even on one of the full length episodes, please feel free to reach out to me either on Instagram. You can DM me at Angry Neighborhood feminist or you can email me at neighborhoodfeminist at gmail.com with any of your suggestions. I also really want to get more suggestions for what I should be putting up on Patreon. So if there is different content that you want me to be putting up or more ideas for additional things that I could be putting up on Patreon, things that the feminist faves think would be cool. I did just add a few people to my close friends list on the podcast Instagram page that I have on the feminist faves level on patreon so if you are a feminist fave and you're listening to this go to patreon and leave a comment on that page with your instagram handle and i'm gonna go and find you and add you to the close friends circle so i can share some more you know intimate behind the scenes crazy madigan life stuff i guess i don't know if you're interested in that sort of thing that is now available to you at the eight dollar level feminist faves level as well and I am going to ask very, very nicely, but I'm also going to be a little bit thirsty and just say that I haven't received an Apple podcast review since May, and we are now nearing the end of July. So if like one of you wouldn't mind going over to Apple Podcasts and leaving a five-star review with like a quick, just like tiny little something, something about why you like the show and just, just leave it up there. Just quick not going to take a lot of time out of your day. I'm not asking for much, but if I could get one, that would even just make me really, really happy. So please go forth. I also really appreciate, I've been seeing that a lot of people have been rating the show on Spotify. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. But there are still a lot of listeners over on Apple podcasts in general. So the more reviews and ratings I can get over there as well, the better. And I love that Apple podcast also gives you the ability to say something about why you like or dislike something, even though the bad reviews hurt, um, is really, really worth it and wonderful, not just for me, but for other people to be able to see those reviews and want to be able to hit play on an episode and check it out. Thank you all so much for your love and support as usual. That is everything that I have for you today. With all of being said, I encourage you to rage on. Bye.
Starring Sunita Mani and Alexandra Ship, the New Realm podcast, The Co-Founder, follows two young women of color in the cutthroat world of Silicon Valley and the hijinks and hilarity that come with it. Valerie and Juliet are best friends and business partners whose video game startup is on the verge of failure. Between running out of capital and being belittled during their fundraising meetings, how are they supposed to gaslight, gatekeep, and girl boss? I mean, live, laugh, love in these conditions. Enter their plan for a fake third co-founder, a white dude, of course, to help them raise the money they need. But when he starts scheming to take over their company, they'll break all the rules to save it. The co-founder is full of snarky banter, friendship goals, and twists that just keep leveling up the story. Be sure to listen to The Co-Founder wherever you get your podcasts or visit realm.fm for more information.